Welcome to Living Hope Podcasts. If you want to learn more about Living Hope and our ministries, you can find us online at livinghopecrc.ca. We hope you appreciate today's message. I invite you to open up your Bibles to Luke chapter 1, uh, verse 67. Uh, today we're going to be finishing up in our Advent series here. Oh, I have the wrong slide. Uh, we're going to be finishing up in our Advent series. Our series has been a true hope. We've been looking at how Jesus is this true hope, this um, the ultimate hope that we have. Uh, we started off in looking at Revelation chapter 22, so the very back of the Bible. And we looked at the words of Jesus saying, I am coming soon. And we noted that our hope is that Jesus comes, that response that John brings of amen, come Lord Jesus, is our response as well. Uh, Last week we looked at Mary's hope, and Mary's hope was that her son, Jesus, would turn things around, the big flipping over from things that are upside down to right side up. There'd be a lowering of the proud and the lifting up of the humble. And today we're going to be looking at Zechariah's hope, Uh, We might not know or be as familiar with Zechariah. He is John the Baptist's father, and Luke begins with the story of Zechariah and his wife Elizabeth, and just a couple of notes, or or one major note uh, before reading is that Zechariah hasn't spoken a word for over nine months um, at this point. Uh, These are the first words that he speaks after a long silence. So let's hear what he has to say. Uh, First, let's turn to God in prayer. Emmanuel, as we wait for your return, help us to see your glory and love through reading and hearing your word. We pray this in your name. Amen. Um, Zechariah's song, verse 67. His father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come and has redeemed his people. He has raised up the horn of his salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he said through his holy prophets of long ago. Salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us to show mercy to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, an oath that he swore to our father Abraham, to rescue us from the hand of our enemies and enable us to serve him without fear, in holiness, in righteousness, before him all our days. And you, my child, will be called a prophet of the Most High. You will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him to give his people knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven and shine on those in darkness and the shadow of death to guide our feet in the path of peace. And the child grew and became strong in the spirit and he lived in the desert and appeared publicly to Israel. Uh, The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Uh, 
Uh, as we near towards Christmas, uh, one of the reflections that I've seen and that I sometimes feel is that Christmas should be in the spring. Uh, just think of the smell of the spring, even. Uh, things begin to thaw. The earth itself seems to be ripe for new life. Colors start to emerge as if from nowhere, every leaf teeming with life. Each part spread with its veins in it, where life can be distributed in a natural way. Uh, I think of the change in our own backyard every spring where we have these spindly little branches growing leaves. They become thick and, and full of life. Uh, spring gives us a bit of a sense of what we long for and hope for with Christmas. Christmas is about new life. It's a change from what looks like emptiness to the fullness of new life. But then, again, to, to celebrate Christmas in spring would be kind of to get something wrong, because it's, it's not that easy Christmas is not about the natural order of things or the gradual change from winter into spring where we have a regular kind of predictable pattern of life. Christmas is a different sort of thing altogether. It's the eruption of life. It is the bursting forth of life where it wasn't before, where it doesn't belong, and where it doesn't make sense. Uh, there's a line from a poem that uh, Elisa and I have been uh, reading for the last few years during Advent. It's written by Anne Riddler, and it's called Christmas and Common Birth. Uh, this is just a few of the lines from it, but the one line that I've been reflecting on is that Christ comes to force glory through frozen veins. Christ comes to force glory through frozen veins, to take what's frozen and, and lifeless and where, where life shouldn't be, and enters life into that. Now, there's, there's something about that image of, of forcing glory through frozen veins that fits the mood of the season well. It's not about some regular event, but this, this isn't just about Jesus or some, some special person that, that comes um, that's bound to arrive at some point in history. Jesus is more than that. This is a bursting in of new life where it didn't belong. It's God doing something new, forcing glory through frozen veins. And this is Zechariah's hope. This is a hope that is rooted in what God has promised. It's a hope that God would break in, that God is actually breaking in and doing something new in what Zechariah prophesies, what he prays for in our passage. It's not the regular order of things, but having spring showing up in, in the dead of winter. Now, the, the story of Zechariah, I, I realize um, many of us are only kind of vaguely familiar with, and I didn't give much of a recap before. Uh, so just to give a couple more things that we learn about him, if we look in this first chapter of the Gospel of Luke. Uh, when Zechariah is introduced, it's alongside his wife Elizabeth, and we learn a couple of facts about them. One is that they are upright people. They are faithful people. 
And the other thing that we learn about them is that they are childless and they are growing older in their years. Uh, and this in Israel is a, a terrible thing for them. It's, it's a source of, of shame almost. They, people looked at the people who were, were childless and they kind of assumed that this was some sort of punishment, something that they had done wrong. So Luke goes out of his way to mention that these were upright people that were still experiencing this, this ache, this longing, this hope that has been unrealized for them. We picture Elizabeth early on in our passage in her years of prayers for a child and years of silence. She was one who remained faithful and still talked to God in the midst of not understanding his ways. So they, um, Elizabeth and Zechariah in our passage here, there are people waiting in silence longing for God and not hearing. They, they, need, they needed a sign, but all they experienced was darkness and night. They were longing for spring, but they couldn't see it. Uh, it, was, it was this Advent-type longing that they had. And then in the midst of this, an angel comes and announces that they would give birth to a child. And this, without even looking at what the rest of, of the Gospel of Luke has to hold, should kind of direct us to the type of story that Luke is going to be telling. This is a story about the waiting and the silence that sometimes people feel, but it is also about a God who answers. God answers for them, directly in their personal hopes, uh, but in capturing the whole hope of Israel, it is about who, a God who is answering this larger thing, that the son that they are going to have is going to prepare the way for something completely new. Now, because of Zechariah's disbelief when the angel comes, he doesn't believe how things are happening here, he's rendered mute. Uh, he can't speak for the, the nine-plus months. And this silence that he's drawn into, that we hear of, would probably have the, the readers think of the silence that all of Israel had been undergoing for the last few hundred years. They, they had heard that the prophets had prophesied of this time where, where they would live in peace, where, where God would come and be with them again, and yet they waited in silence. But then comes this moment, this naming ceremony of John. It's not when John is born. It's when he is named, and then he speaks. And it says, the Spirit filled him, and he had these words to say. Uh, the first few lines talk about uh, the redemption of all of God's people. It names the, the oath, the, this covenant that was with Abraham, the, the blessing of all nations that would come through him. And we have this sense here that God is answering this broad call to the nation of Israel. And then we get verses 76 through 79, where he gives the specific words to his child here, that his child would be a prophet of God, a prophet of the Most High, and he would prepare the way of the Lord. He would be ushering in this new kingdom, a kingdom is one of peace. Zechariah's son will be the one who announces 
uh, spring showing up in the middle of the coldest space possible, the darkest space that they knew. The line that Zechariah uses here is, the rising sun will come. And this, this is referencing, if we just flipped back um, just past the New Testament into the Old Testament, you'll find the last page on the Old Testament is the book of Malachi. Malachi chapter 4, verse 2. It has the words, But you who revere my name, the sun of righteousness will rise with healing in its rays, and you will go out and frolic like well-fed calves. So we have this image. The rising sun will come that he speaks, and the last of the words that we find in the prophets, the sun of righteousness will rise. That, that all of Israel in this time, reading the book of Malachi, or just people waiting for the sun to come up, waiting for them to be lifted from the space of darkness. And Zechariah is stating that that time is finally coming. This passage also, though, might have us reflecting on that long wait for that light to come, that, that darkness that ever since Malachi, all of Israel was feeling. And we do so remembering that Advent itself might have us thinking about this darkness and this waiting. Advent comes in the shortest time or the, the shortest days of the year, the shortest amount of sunlight, uh, there is uh, a line that I had come across of um, just talking about winter and, and the darkness that we experience. And it says, the only miracle here is waiting to see how much night a day can hold and still be called day. Uh, that, that's the season that we are in right now. We're, we're two days away from the solstice, from the, the longest of nights. The, the most amount of night that can fit in a day and for it to still be called day. Uh, and this, this idea of night, as it shows up in our, our passage of waiting for the sunrise to come, is symbolic of the silence that we sometimes feel when we don't see God in the ways that we desire. Uh, may we, we feel sometimes a little bit like all of Israel waiting for the Messiah. Maybe we feel like Elizabeth, who into her older years has given up possibly on God answering her prayers. Uh, but it, it goes beyond the symbolism too, this, this image of darkness that we feel in this time. Uh, we are people who are affected deeply by darkness. Uh, we know that as the days get shorter in our area, and especially in uh, the Abbotsford area where we have a lot of overcast days and we don't see that much sun, that this actually affects our mood. In the Diagnostic Manual of Mental Disorders, it, it recognizes something called seasonal affective disorder as a type of depression. Uh, and this is more than just the, the winter blues. Uh, this is something that deeply affects people in, in how they can interact in their day-to-day -day living. And it notes that January to February are the most challenging months for a lot of people because it's this lengthening of time of shorter days. 
And experts note, too, that the further north you go, uh, the more people are impacted by this because the shorter the days are out there. Uh, for many, this is a season where this darkness isn't just outside, uh, but it's felt within. Uh, when we hear descriptions of what depression is like, it's often this lack of feeling, a numbing that they feel. And in the midst of this, too, there is a longing for, for light, uh, a longing for hope. Uh, perhaps another way that I've seen uh, darkness a little more uh, literally this year is in people that haven't put up their, their Christmas lights or um, haven't put up a tree this year. I've talked to a number of people who just didn't feel like this was the right year for it. Uh, whether it was something personal that they were going through or they just looked at what was happening in their broader community and early December came around and they thought, well, maybe this year they would just leave things dark. And I don't know if that was um, you or, or you know others that have had that same experience. Uh, but there's something that, that felt appropriate for them about that. There's something that, that darkness seems to, to make sense in a way. And whether that's your experience for you, I, I don't know if some of you may be um, experiencing kind of this restlessness because of these big things that are happening in the world. Maybe you're afraid of, of climate change or, or those things, or, or maybe it's more local, more personal things that are happening in your life. But there's a sense of waiting that is present. And know that in this context, that we may have a shared understanding with Israel, with Elizabeth, and with Zechariah of our feeling of being in the dark, and that this, this darkness doesn't mean that, that Jesus isn't present or can't come in. In fact, that's the whole point of the story here. This is the actual setting in which Jesus comes. It is the context for Christ entering in. Jesus comes not in the normal progression of things, but he is, and to go back to an earlier image here, he is the, the glory entering into frozen veins. Um, he is bringing life in the least expected places. He's doing something new. Uh, Jesus is this day spring the bright morning star appearing in the darkest of moments for humanity and ushering in something completely new here. Uh, this is caught in, in Zechariah's hope when he announces who God is or who his son will announce. He says, The rising sun will come to us from heaven to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet in the path of peace. Some of the translations that I looked at and the commentaries will note uh, that the rising sun here could be capitalized. That, that when it references the rising sun, it's not just an, an ambiguous rising sun. This is a specific name for the Messiah. That what is coming here is this new day that the Messiah will bring. The Messiah is the rising sun, this light from heaven that brings light in the midst of darkness, the one who will bring in the path for peace and freedom. 
And this dawning of a new day that they speak of isn't just the the rising of any old day. This is ushering in a completely new way of being. It's a new type of day. The rising sun ushers in a dawn of a new era, a time where God's people may live in the deep peace that they had only dreamed of. Uh, Their vision, that the people of Israel wanted just to be in a place of permanence where they could enjoy the fruit from their land, where they didn't have to worry about invasion or drought. And the, the, the rising sun that's coming in here is ushering in a whole new type of world, a new creation for them to enjoy. And notice where this promise is given. We have this rising sun that is coming. And this is happening right at the end of chapter 1 of Luke. And we know where Luke chapter 2 directs us. Directs us straight to the birth of Jesus. It's pointing out that for those who are waiting, for those who only know the darkness and silence, this new dawn is coming. And it is glory being forced into frozen veins. This is spring showing up in the middle of winter. Um, I've mentioned that line a few times from this poem, and I think it's a helpful line because uh, it describes the, the mood of what's happening in the Gospel of Luke. It, it describes the miraculousness of the event, of life showing up where it, maybe you don't expect it. But there's more than that going on in this line that I think helps us understand Luke. This isn't just life entering into the veins, but this is glory coming in. Uh, The the, the veins here, if we look at the the branch there, it's regularly carrying the stuff of life. But now it is infused with the fullness of God, glory showing up in the ordinary. It is glory being placed in, into the womb of what may seem like an ordinary vessel. So while Zechariah is speaking these words, he's prophesying about the rising sun, the one who he speaks about is laying in the womb, or more accurately, kicking in the womb, moving around and punching and pivoting. God's glory is being squeezed into creation, the glory of God, the light of the world in the dark and muted silence of the womb. Uh, This is the other part of Christmas that we celebrate. Jesus entering into humanity itself, um, erupting our expectations of what glory looks like. This is how God enters in and brings his salvation He enters in. Uh, God is birthed. He becomes part of the world and renews the world from within, redeeming the very fabric of life that we have by entering into it. And we know the rest of the story, too, that that as you read through what Jesus does, he, he lives with the people. He experiences the joys as well as the pains. Uh, He experiences the the parts that we might see as light as well as the places that seem dark. He goes to the darkest reaches of our experience to death on the cross 
where he experiences not only the, the anguish of physical pain, but the anguish of forsakenness, of feeling utterly alone and abandoned. His entrance into all of this is also signifying the defeat of it. There is no dark space in which Jesus' light cannot shine. I mentioned um, I know some people who uh, didn't put up Christmas lights this year um, and, or didn't put up a tree. And I, I'm not saying that this is something that we all need to do every Christmas. Uh, but I do hope that for each person that there is a moment where they can reflect on the light that shines in the midst of darkness, where you can take a moment to appreciate the beauty of what this might symbolize. We can think of glory being squeezed into creation, entering into flesh and blood, glory with veins, changing forever what it means to be in relationship with God. We can remember that our hope doesn't come from never experiencing the dark, but knowing that we have with us the one who has overcome, the one who ushers in a new dawn, and the one who will come and set things right. Come, Lord Jesus. Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you that you are the light. Uh, for those of us that are feeling like Elizabeth in the long waiting and the silence, and for those who feel like Zechariah and know the long wait for your presence, may we see how you enter into the silence and into the darkness. May we see this Christmas how remarkable the incarnation is, God coming to dwell with us, the miracle of you coming and being present squeezing glory into places we never imagined. May we be in awe of the presence of your spirit with us, which we know to be present, which enables us to show your light to those around us. We pray this all in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening. We hope that you are encouraged and challenged in the message and through the work of the Spirit. Once again, if you want to learn more about Living Hope, you can find us online at livinghopecrc.ca.